Welcome everyone to episode one of phase two of the podcast, Why Not? Phase one was a bunch of conversations that I had with people connected to my home region of Northeast Wisconsin. And I think it was a beautiful training ground. It was attached to the media company I started in college, Venture Wisconsin. And, you know, after 2020 and and the whole pandemic thing, um, it got harder to do the podcast for various reasons. And my direction in life began to to grow. Uh, I see myself as a diverse thinker, a person with diverse interests, and um, so I'm I'm expanding my borders. I think life is too short, and I think you have to pursue what you're passionate about. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm pursuing conversations with people that, with people that light me on fire, if you will. So with that being said, first episode, starting off strong, diving into the deep end, I talked to Ed Perdoe who is a part of the Perception Restoration Foundation. So the main thing we talk about is HPPD, which is Hallucinogen Persisting Perception Disorder. I had never heard of this. I made a TikTok about the potential dangers of psychedelics because right before that, I had made a TikTok saying that essentially psychedelics are very likely, if not 100% guaranteed, to be rescheduled, starting with MDMA, in the next year. MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, has essentially written confirmation from the uh, FDA in America that they will reschedule or uh, approve MDMA for medical use Um, As long as their phase three study shows promising results, they're claiming it it will and it does. And that the phase three study will be done sometime in 2023. So within a year, the DEA will essentially have their hand forced to rescheduling MDMA. So I made a video explaining that psychedelics are about to change everything because they're going to come back into the culture They're already coming back into the culture. The writing's on the wall. People are interested in these things. We have a mental health crisis. So it's going to be really hard to suppress psychedelics like we did in the 60s. So I made a video just explaining that the inevitable is coming, and it it kind of blew up. And so I was like, okay, I need people to know that I don't think these things are all good, and I think these things come with risks. Psychedelics are amplifiers of our consciousness in a sense, and so that amplifies the good and the bad. There are such things as bad trips, and as Ed has taught me and will teach all of you, there are things like HPPD that nobody talks about or understands. So we talk about this. uh, We talk about Ed's story a little bit. 
Ed is actually studying for his master's and he is studying this phenomenon. This is serious stuff. We're gonna dive into this. I hope you enjoy, I hope you learn something. And um, yeah, without further ado, Ed Perdoe. Ed. Yeah. How do you pronounce? Hey, 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 Evan. Good. How do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Prado. Prado. Awesome. Prado. Yeah, that's right. Prado. And you're in England, correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah. You're usually based in Brighton on the south coast of England. And we're here to talk about HPPD mostly, which is hallucinogen persisting perceptive disorder, correct? That's right. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, so where does your story with HPPD start? Um, and, and just to take it a step back, we got connected because of a, a video discussing the potential downsides of psychedelics. And, and this is something that I, I'd never even heard of. So um, I'd love to kind of hear your story and, and maybe we can learn a little bit about HPPD. Right. So I guess maybe to start, I can give a, a short summary of what HPPD is. Uh, so as Evan said, it stands for Hallucinogen Persisting Perception Disorder. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a psychological condition in which people consume psychedelics. So it can be psychedelics of, of many different kinds and varieties and, and also cousins of psychedelics. So primarily LSD, but also psilocybin, salvia, 2CB, 2CI, DXM, Datura, DMT, uh, MDMA, cannabis, all these, all these psychedelic, classic psychedelic, and also psychedelic adjacent drugs can, can trigger this condition. And basically, at the most basic level, HDPD occurs when after taking uh, a psychedelic trip, and it doesn't have to be many psychedelic trips, it can be uh, only one or a handful, it really varies, um, you experience lingering changes to your perception. Um, so, for example, the, the most common changes people experience are something called visual snow, which something which which uh, ordinary people who've never taken drugs can can have already. But with it, people with HDPD, it can be much more noticeable and more intensified. And so, visual snow is a condition in which your field of vision is coated uh, with fine granular dots, and it's and almost like the static on like a um, like an undialed analog TV. Uh, and this can range in severity. For some people, their entire field of vision is coated with these dots. Um, you can also, as well as visual snow, you can have classic psychedelic effects like uh, like traces and trails, uh, which likewise can uh, vary in severity. People can experience uh, geometric patterns, um, melting walls, uh, effects like micropsia and macropsia, uh, otherwise known as Alice in Wonderland syndrome, uh, which is the real name, where objects can appear smaller or bigger or like they're at a distance um and hvpd also co-arises with um dissociation many people experience a phenomenon known as um depersonal depersonalization and derealization where you feel dissociated from your body and like the world around you doesn't feel real um and, and other hvpd perceptual phenomena are matched by also experiences in your body so some people can experience intense head pressure um, or certain electrical tingling throughout the body. People report neck pain. People report the sudden onset of stammering. They report the sudden onset of dyslexia. Uh, so it's an incredibly complex and broad condition uh, characterized basically by certain changes in vision. 
and we really don't know much about it. It's very, very under-researched, and it may not be that rare. Uh, a survey study in 2011 suggested that one in 25 psychedelic users will develop this condition. And, and crucially, the condition has to create, in order to be diagnosed, it has to be accompanied by distress. So many people can still see visuals after trips, and it doesn't distress them. But for this to be HPPD, it has to impair your life or provoke anxiety uh, or depression, um, which it does for many people, or at the very least, some form of distress. Um, and, and HPPD was an effect I, I had never thought possible uh, before I developed it. It was my fourth psychedelic experience when I was in high school. Uh, it seems that a lot of people who develop HPPD are very young. Uh, it was my fourth experience on 1P LSD, which is a pro drug for LSD. Um, and I woke up the next day still seeing lingering visual changes. Like, for example, I looked out my window just there and I saw my parents' driveway still melting and moving. And I thought, okay, I, it's not it's not unusual for people still to s sort of mildly trip out the day after a psychedelic experience. But then these visuals still carried on. And I noticed, especially on the Monday uh, at school, following the Friday, I noticed all these, uh, all these kind of star-like things on the carpet before I was before I went into my first class of the day, and I would later learn that this was my first glimpse of visual snow. The effect I described earlier, the the, the the glimpse of those those fine particle dots on people's vision, and then over the following days and weeks and months, uh, my visuals only intensified. Like in the in the bedroom I am in now, my my bedroom at my parents' house, like I'd look at the cupboards in front of me and they would be mo like oscillating on their hinges. Uh, my entire field of vision would warp and melt. Walls would melt uh, in school and at home. So in, in a mild way, at least at the time, I felt like I was still tripping, even though I hadn't taken a drug for, you know, for weeks. And speaking six years later, although in a much milder way, I still experience these visuals. And it depends on, for example, my level of uh, fatigue or my how much caffeine I've consumed, um, it also has certain emotional triggers. So if I'm stressed, uh, if, I've, if I've had a difficult conversation that's roused me up, the visuals seem to go along with those. Um, but for a good four years, especially when I was at university, uh, these visuals were really noticeable and, and quite isolating. Um, and they were, and they, and they seemed to intensify, um, at least in the short term, after I began dabbling in psychedelics again at university, and and thankfully, uh, increasing and, and thankfully experimenting again with psychedelics didn't worsen my condition in the long term. But for maybe one or two weeks after a trip, uh, there'll be moments when my you know, for example, I'd be in lectures at university, staring at the you know professor in front, and I would almost be kind of blinded by visuals, like my entire field of vision would warp and melt. Um, and I, I kind of recognize, and to, and to jump back to when I first started experiencing these visual changes, I think it took me a few days of kind of just relentless Google searching to realize or put a label on my condition. And I found the Wikipedia page, HPPD. Um, and at the time, I remember looking at some of the pages on Google frantically and realizing that there's basically little to nothing in the way of effective targeted treatments uh, at the time, the, the only the only seemingly available treatments were things like drugs, mainly for Parkinson's 
uh, disease. Uh, So that was very frightening to hear. And now, you know, there are certain psychiatric medications people can take to control and dampen the visuals or dampen the anxiety. Uh, People might be prescribed a drug called lamotrigine, which is usually given for epilepsy patients. And that can be very successful for many people. Or they might be given benzodiazepines like clonopin or Xanax, or they might be given antipsychotics like risperidone or halperidol. But these are very powerful psychotropic drugs. And I was never, and I never felt like I, my condition was severe enough or to warrant a prescription with these drugs, or at least I was just terrified of entering the world of psychotropic medication because the side effects can be really intense. Uh, Dependency can take hold. And, and so for me now, I would identify as a recovered HPPD patient because these visuals no longer cause me the distress that they once did. And, and, and I would identify as someone who, like many, takes psychedelics. It seems that it's more common than people think. I identify as someone who's just experienced perceptual changes after, you know, after, after prior psychedelic experience. And it doesn't bother me. Um, it's just become my normal. So do you think it doesn't bother you because you've come to terms with it or because the, you know, perceptions have, have decreased. Um, and did you ever seek or try any kind of treatment or. Hmm. Um, in answer to the first two points, I'd say it's actually, you know, both because I I was able probably within a year or so, to fully accept that this is what my reality is now and the acceptance is is a process as many people with hgpd will come to realize um it's it's almost like the at a certain point you're almost left with no choice but to accept it because this is what it is and as as much as when i was a teenager i would i would have i would often look at walls in my you know I'd i'd be in a room and i'd look at a wall and i just hope it wouldn't melt I'd be like, fuck, just please don't, you know, I, I, please don't still be tripping. And it would. And the thing is that HGPD, its intensity is linked to the anxiety that you have around it. So the more anxiety it provokes, the more it feeds into a cycle. Because when you're anxious, you fixate. And when you fixate, you invest more psychological energy, so to speak, uh, in making these changes more noticeable. So the more I accepted it, the the less my anxiety uh, was presenting, which meant that uh, the intensity of the changes went down. And, and I think that it, it definitely has helped that um, my visuals, I think my visuals have probably independently gone down anyway, because I don't take psychedelics frequently at all these days. And just, it seems that many people just recover over time. Um some people they might have they might have HPPD for years, and they'll wake up one day and they'll be blessed to see that the visuals have just gone. And we don't and there's not really been much research on you know what what are the conditions for this for for sudden remission to occur. You know how long does it usually take for remission to occur? Um, and that's kind of what I'm hoping to do with my work at the moment. I'm working with a nonprofit called the Perception Restoration Foundation, which was founded by people in the HPPD community to raise funds for studies into research, into the condition. Because um, it, it's, it's, as, I, as I said at the beginning, it's incredibly under-researched. And even to the point where really we don't know what HPPD even is. Like we know vaguely what it points to. It seems that there is a lot of overlap in these experiences 
um, but it's really chronically understudied. And and that's kind of what I'm from January. I'll be doing a master's psychology program to research the condition backed by the, the nonprofit. And I guess something that I want to convey is that, you know, on, on the one hand, people will say HPPD, you know, HPPD sounds like flashbacks and people often people often react to this emotionally, uh, especially people who are who have dealt with a lot of anti psychedelic bullshit in their lives. And they'll say flashbacks aren't real. Whilst the term flashbacks, it, ha- it has a lot of baggage. It, flashbacks are real. That's what people so need to realize. So just to be clear, flashbacks is something where people have done psychedelics. Mm. Sometimes they'll just kind of flashback to a similar feeling mm. or percep- perceptive mode of when they were on that psychedelic. Mm. Um, and what you're saying is that people who are pro-psychedelic are so used to defending it that they say flashbacks aren't real. Mm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And something I didn't mention at the start actually, um, is that HPPD is usually classified into two types. Uh, type two HPPD is what is far more common. And that's what I was describing when you're, when you're like day to day vision has like seemingly permanently been changed. Um, like just constant change. And then type one is the flashback phenomenon, which is when these percept, when, like kind of quasi psychedelic effects or even, you know, full blown psychedelic effects can come on in episodic flashbacks. And, and it's, and it it does, it does make me sad when I see pro psychedelic folks and, and don't get me wrong. I am pro psychedelic myself. It's just, I'm also pro harm reduction and pro accurate information when they say that flashbacks aren't real and that flashbacks are pro drug propaganda, because I, I get it. We've all heard bullshit. We've all been told lies. You know, flashbacks are tied to the idea. Flashbacks are often tied in like dare propaganda to ideas that, you know, LSD can get stored in your spinal yeah, fluid. And, and that you- that's clearly non. Yeah. It's clearly nonsense. But flashbacks, 100% are real. I had one as part of my HGPD, as well as the lingering changes in my vision day to day. I've experienced quite a few flashbacks. I had one, and it's, it's usually correlated with stress. Uh, for example, I, I actually had a flashback in a job interview once, you know, um, a friend of mine every few months has a, has almost like PTSD, like flashback reactions to a bad trip she had in the middle of the night where she sees full blown fucking kaleidoscopes and mandalas look online. Plenty of people report flashbacks and, 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 and just to, to, to kind of cap this point, HPPD and the idea of perceptual changes after psychedelics, even if they're real, people might say, that, oh, dude, this is just super rare. It's just people who take, who trip out like a thousand times, people who've taken, you know, dozens of sheets of acid in their lives. You know, people who are responsible, they don't get this. Like, no, no. Uh, I, I got this after four trips. I know people who have got HPPD after a microdose. Um, and... At the same time, you know, the, the, the survey I, I described earlier, it was a, a 2011 survey, which found that one in 25 psychedelic users will develop distressing HPPD. And you can contest that finding, but it's suggestive that maybe this isn't that uncommon. And, and that same survey found that a quarter of the survey sample experienced at least one permanent change in their perception. Like that it doesn't have to be a problem. If it's not a problem, it's not a problem. Uh, as people uh, as people often say but 
I think people need to be more honest that this is an effect that can come with psychedelics. You can permanently change your vision. Yeah, that's interesting. And and with harm reduction, it is so important to talk about. I've never heard of this until you reached out to me. Mm. And one out of 25 is a lot of people, even if I don't know what the sample size in that survey was, but even if it's one out of 50, like it's definitely something we should talk about and um, yeah, just be aware of for sure. Um, with that type two, I think it's important to make this distinction. I think I'm correct in this and, and let me know. Um, that type two HPPD um, is visual mm. distortions, mm. but you you lose the feeling like you're not you don't feel like you do when you're on a psychedelic. That's like the the type one is what mm. you're saying, right? You know, it's complicated because I would because HPPD has been so under researched that and that has that hasn't really been a proper let's say taxonomy like a, a proper breakdown proper sampling of what people actually go through like it's a, to get a real taste of what people go through with hvpd for example i've had to just research uh online forums anecdotes self-reports and the sheer breadth of people's experiences so for me at least it's been perceptual changes with the absence of actual psychedelic cognitive changes but i know a fair few people uh, who in the HGPD community who have it, who literally do feel like, well, at least for some period of time, they were still feeling psychedelic. Uh, I know of someone who, as part of their HPPD, they literally felt like they were high on acid for a year. Uh, and I don't know what exactly that means. Right. Yeah, that's um, tough. But I, I struggle to believe they were really comparable, and, it, and it's hard to kind of often what you find with psychedelics is you don't really know what it's like to be high on acid until you actually take the acid you have some memory of what it might be like um but then type the, the type one flashback experience uh it does seem that that's more like a re-experiencing of what it's like to be psychedelic but even then with, with my flashback experiences it's not it's not like I've been thrown back to what it's like to be high on acid it's more like just an intense peak wave of perceptual change probably with in my experience some a bit like more dissociation thrown in so for example in the job interview i was describing um i think probably just the the the, the stress of the, the background stress that was following me at that time and then the stress of being in this situation caused a dissociative almost break uh and the, the visuals were ramped up probably by 50 percent uh, and somehow I managed to answer the interviewer's questions whilst flashing back. Uh, but and, and it didn't. And, it, and, and the funny thing is, I didn't find it distressing. Maybe because I was used to navigating these quite uh, exotic states of consciousness through psychedelics. You know, I've taken quite a few psychedelics, uh, especially at university. But for someone who, for example, they only took a trip once and they still develop severe HPPD, maybe they had a bad trip. It's just quite traumatic, I think, to re-experience all this stuff. Yeah, and that <clears throat> that trauma and the perception of it is obviously important to the diagnosis at this point. Like you're saying, some of these people are, you know, some people on psychedelics, you said one in four are experiencing some kind of consistent or permanent perceptual change. Hmm. Only one out of 25 have stress and anxiety hmm. attached hmm. to it, right? Yeah, that's right. Could, could you describe 
the break with that interview? Like, were you, did you feel like, like you were outside of your body or like what? Yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was classic depersonalization really. Uh, and I guess, I think that my tendency towards the, the dissociative element of the HPPD experience was probably amplified actually by my having had, uh, one very powerful ego dissolution experience on LSD once. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that's something that people, you know, the ego death experience is kind of held up as like the, <laughs> the, like the Grail, Super Bowl yeah. trophy of psychedelics, but actually it's, it's actually a very powerful psychological experience that you, you'd want to tread pretty lightly around. I think that's what we want to emphasize, especially if you're young, if you're 18, in my opinion, well, this is going to vary from subject to subject. You shouldn't be ego deathing. <laughs> but that's just my opinion but anyway in Let, the no, interview- let's stick with that for a second because i think it, it's super interesting um because they say that your brain isn't fully developed until you're like 25 to 28 and i think it's maybe maybe it's you know 23 to 25 for women i don't know i know women mature quicker but um what they say develops last is your um essentially your decision making, right? That's why they're always like young people Mm -hmm. make stupid decisions. Um, But that's your prefrontal. That's like, that's your default node system. That's where that exists. And that's your like executive function. So if that's what's developing Mm -hmm. last, that's your sense of identity. That's your ego. So I never thought of it that way, Mm -hmm. but that is probably a good reason for, you know, to not, not trip at all, maybe, um, and, and for sure tread yeah. lightly before, you know, before you're 24, 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is, you know, as someone who wants to promote harm reduction for HPPD, the, the, the issue is that it's so under research that we really don't know what the risk factors are. So if someone wants to be extra cautious, because this, because if, if someone listening finds this idea terrifying or developing HPPD, which it, plausibly can sound terrifying my only advice if you really want to not get hgpd the only answer is not to trip but i don't want to be that anti-drug guy because i think psychedelics can provide incredibly valuable meaningful experiences i think that you know for, for harm reduction that number one as you say probably don't do it if you're 21 and under uh, at the very least because I, I think that there's there are advantages to tripping you know, eight, when you're between 18 and 21, because at least in my experience, kind of when your psyche and your personality is developing, it, it can actually be positive when you're in that kind of extra plastic, malleable mode to have a deeply meaningful experience. It, when you're more subject, when you're more able to be shaped and then you have a psychedelic experience that shapes you in a positive way, it can almost be extra positive. Uh, but, but I, but I would tread lightly around that advice. Um, and then I think that if you have a history of anxiety or obsessive compulsive or perhaps even ADD tendencies, although research on like the psychological correlates of HPPD, like kind of the conditions it tends to co-arise with has never been done. But my sense from my independent research is that HPPD correlates significantly with generalized anxiety, ADD, OCD. Uh, because those are all conditions of kind of anxious fixation, and that's precisely what HPPD festers and feeds on. Um, and, and then, secondly, the, the research, the tentative research, seems to suggest that people who develop HP but full-blown HPPD might 
already have experienced certain perceptual oddities before they ever tripped. Uh, and when I saw that research, I was like, man, yes, I did. You know, when I was 13, I remember fairly suddenly at night, I was looking up at the ceiling in my bed, I would, I would start noticing certain, you know, flashes of purple, which quite a lot of people might experience, just strange colors, like, what's that doing there? And, you know, and I wonder whether that subconsciously inspired me to take psychedelics a few years later. But yeah, if you have certain ex perceptual experiences like that, then that's uh, a fair warning that don't be necessarily surprised if perceptual changes come on. Um, and once you get, if you do develop HPPD and you're finding it distressing, as I said, acceptance, 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 as fast as you can, bring down the anxiety, you know, meditate, eat well, sleep, sleep, sleep. You need to allow your brain to recover. Um, even and then exercise at the basic neurophysiological level because there's speculation that HPPD might be an expression of um, psychedelics essentially prompting um, the creation of too many synapses in the visual cortex because psychedelics promote synapsogenesis that's the term for it so there's speculation that HPPD is when these these kind of the, these newly created synapses uh, remain active um, and exercise is known to be involved in something called synaptic pruning, which is when you basically, it, it's the process of basically neurophysiologically clearing away at excess synapses. So exercise, like it's not just a matter of, you know, raising your general health and mood, like literally it can combat HPPD. So or, this is, and this is as much as you can say with, with preventing HPPD um, or treating it because it's under research, but bread and butter lifestyle change. That's what people need. Period, right? It's not even if you're planning yeah. to use psychedelics yeah. or explore it at all. But yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I, I was kind of thinking as you were describing this, like, um, you know, I, like, are you familiar with Terrence McKenna? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like he, you know, his like uh, stone ape theory, the whole idea is that there were generations of humans that were constantly mm -hmm you know, had access to mushrooms and then that would have created this kind of unique community environment that shaped like who we are. That's kind of his idea. And this is mm. over, call it 10,000 to a hundred thousand years. He doesn't really, no one can know, but, um, what's interesting is like, as more people take psychedelics, like it would make sense that especially, I don't know. Cause if you think about it, if you, if you microdose, your world does kind of feel different it does mm. kind of become different over time you know um so how can we make sure that it does that in the best way right like how in a healthy way um and maybe that's those lifestyle mm. changes exercise and sleep and mm. um giving your brain what it needs on the the input side like personally to to deal with it how it needs to so this, to me, this feels like HPPD in general being like, because when I looked into it, it's like, um, it, it could be this, but we have no idea. It could be that, but we have no idea. Like, um, it could be s stress. It Sometimes, like, like you said with caffeine, it said like stimulants can like, you know, produce this and stuff. Obviously, once you have it. Um, 
but it seems do you feel like the language around HPBD is still kind of developing it seems so it's it's been in the DSM since the DSM3 and we're on the DSM5 now right so it's been recognized for a while but it seems like there's so much to like parse out and it seems like it's not just one mm-hmm. cause one effect one solution it seems like as complicated as psychedelics are in a way yeah yeah um so i guess it's 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 the way science works right you you have someone who notices an effect which is what dr henry abraham who's uh, now a retired let he was uh, when he retired he was a lecturer at tufts in psychiatry um so dr henry abraham was the first guy who noticed that people were taking lsd in the late 60s in boston and the early 70s and coming into his clinic and reporting that they in their terms were still tripping and the way he put any way he put his findings together after consultations with hundreds of people reporting these symptoms over decades was this idea of HPPD. Uh, and it's a very decent first stab. It, it put the idea that you could take psychedelics and still see perceptual aberrations on the map. But as with all first attempts at science, it has major problems and you need, and it needs to develop and evolve over time. Um, and that's something that I hope to contribute to with my own psychology research. And, and so the, the, the first, a, a very early uh, new approach that I'm coming to think about is what, uh, just to return, to return to the DSM. If you look at the, the three criteria for HPPD diagnosis in the DSM, like they don't really make too much sense. So the, the first one, like HPPD is defi- in, the, in the DSM is defined as a re-experiencing of phenomena induced by a previous hallucinogenic drug experience, but you know, as I've said, the, these aren't the, these don't have to be necessarily re-experiences of stuff you saw tripping. Like it, it's actually like, for example, I never saw visual snow. I never saw. I never experienced too much tunnel vision when I was tripping. Um, so I think that that kind of reflects that maybe the psychiatric community wasn't particularly well informed on what psychedelics are really about. They just think, oh, hallucinations, therefore hallucin- and hallucinogens do that. So it has to be the same, but but no. Um, and, and something important to mention is that people can develop very similar sets of perceptual changes and the overlap even stretches to experiences of dissociation whilst never having taken drugs or at least whilst never having taken hallucinogens. And so there's a, a, a condition which is also very under-researched uh, also neglected by the medical community called visual snow syndrome. And it seems that at least for some people with HPPD, it's almost like they've developed drug-induced visual snow syndrome. And I think that with my research, what I expect I will find is that people classed under the broad diagnostic label of HPPD fit into all number of subtypes. So you might have some people with basically drug-induced visual snow syndrome. You know, we'll look at their, perhaps we'll do a uh, functional MRI or deep neuroimaging and realize, oh, what's happened to their brain is what's happened to people with visual snow syndrome. For some people, I think that you might have um, basically this, the psychedelic acting as a trigger for elevations in baseline anxiety. And that anxiety can feed into um noticing perceptual changes and creating vicious cycles. I think that there is a strong role for trauma as well. Um, it, it seems that HCPD is far more likely, and this is something I actually didn't mention in my in my 
a manic style harm reduction speech, but um, it seems the HPD is far more likely after bad trips. Uh, I think that, that that makes sense because if you experience if you experience perceptual changes after psychedelics and you had great trips, they're less likely to bother you because it's just like, oh, cool, free trip. And many people think of it like that. I mean, now that it's been six years since I developed these changes, I'm almost in that kind of state of mind myself. Like the other day, uh, it was kind of late and I noticed more visuals than usual in bed. And I was like, you know, that's kind of funky, you know, <laughs> like kind of strobe light effects was in my eyes. And I was like, you know, this doesn't bother me. It's kind of cool. And a lot of people can come to that kind of understanding. But if you had a traumatic bad trip, seeing things that are even bordering on the psychedelic can be literally re-traumatizing. And, and I wonder, you know, the, the work of people like Gabor Mate or um, Dr. Van der Kolk, who wrote the book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, it's showing how trauma is an incredibly complex phenomenon that really crosses the boundaries of mind and body. And something that I'm curious about is whether there could be uh, almost a way of storing trauma, so to speak, in perception. So trauma can be stored like literally in your muscles, from my understanding, and you can do certain bodily exercises to process it. And in the same way, I wonder whether trauma could almost be stored in a way in your perception. And what this means, and this is another reason why HGPD is so fascinating, is that certain people can take, can have highly healing psychedelic experiences and their HGPD can go away. So I was told uh, by a psychiatrist of one patient who developed severe HPPD after a trip on ayahuasca, um, and they fell into a debilitating cycle of anxiety and depression, um, but then had a highly healing psychedelic experience. And I, I admire this person's uh, courage or foolhardiness and wanted to, wanted to try that psychedelic again. But after having this, you know, liberating trip, their HPPD went away. So I think that that, you know, to that extent, psychedelics can provoke the trauma that can create HGPD, but also heal the trauma that can take it away. Uh, yeah, I'll leave that there. It's extremely complex. Yeah, right, well, and I guess our, you know, and maybe maybe I'm wrong and I need to read more books, but it seems like our scientific understanding of trauma is still kind of developing. Like it's kind of a, maybe a complicated thing to describe, you know, literally like, um, yeah, I guess with, with words, but, um, yeah, that's, that's wild. Like, yeah, I mean, lots of people and people can actually overcome their HGPD, not even through necessarily, uh, healing trips. I, I've read reports of people who have just, you know, like, happen to have taken LSD and they wake up like, Oh shit, my, my, those, these visual changes have gone or ketamine. I've read about psilocybin DMT. So even just at the most neurophysiological level, what is going on here? Uh, you know, the, the original model seems to, the, the, the DSM kind of formulation seems to imply that HPPD is some kind of, you know, brain damage, but the very things that cause this so-called brain damage can also take it away which just speaks to psychedelics incredible complexity yeah well i think the biggest hope with psychedelics is healing trauma and i think a lot of people who have even done it outside of the therapeutic context on their own have luckily um for one reason or another whether it's mindset 
or maybe they're healthier. Who knows? Maybe it's pure luck. Um, I'm sure it's it's more than just luck. Have had good experiences and felt like they've worked through something, or even they've touched on something important and that benefited their life. But to understand that if you do go at it alone, you know, not in a therapeutic context, that you run this risk of, you know, essentially having real damage or something that you live with that exacerbates the problem you hoped to solve, that's going to really turn a lot of people off. Um, and yeah, that's why it's, well, so tell me what's going on with, with the nonprofit. And, um, I guess if you can kind of, um, explain your next like three to five years, like what, what you plan to be kind of working on in the space. Yeah. So, the Perception Restoration Foundation is a 501c nonprofit um, that emerged from the HTPD community, as I said, to, to raise funds for studies and raise awareness. Because I'll, I'll deal first with the awareness problem, because in the psychedelic community, HTPD is basically it's kind of known by some portion of the community, but not in any depth. And some portion of the community has either never heard of it or never heard of it beyond even just you know, maybe... Oh, it's when people still trip. So they don't appreciate any of the complexity. But but crucially, um, it's little known amongst psychedelic researchers in depth, but more crucially among clinicians. So lots of people will, uh, you know, they'll go and see a the general practitioner, maybe a psychiatrist on developing these changes. And they'll realize and then they'll tell them, you know, I took LSD and I'm still seeing shit. And their psychiatrists i think this might have been a problem more in the 20 in the late 20th century than now but there's never been any research on on this um but but lots of people were misdiagnosed with for example drug-induced psychosis or drug-induced schizophrenia and then given drugs medications that can make it worse which i think would be absolutely terrifying but anyway so i think awareness raising is one of the main things the the foundation is is doing and it's something that I hope I've been contributing to through my own personal connections in the psychedelic community, which I would still consider myself uh, a part of, um, despite sounding the alarm on one of their risks. Um, and I recently wrote a, a quite lengthy article on HPPD for a mental health magazine that goes kind of deep in every layer I could on HPPD. Um, and we're also putting together an information guide um, and a harm reduction guide, which we hope to circulate amongst kind of anyone and everyone we can in the psychedelic world and the clinical world to just raise understanding. So as, as well as the awareness raising, which is something that I'm mainly working on, there's also uh, a few studies that we've already secured. Uh, one of them is through the universe is through uh, Macquarie University in Australia, where a team led by uh, Professor Harry McConnell, who is um, who is a senior member of Australia's equivalent of the FDA. Uh, it's going to be doing deep neuroimaging on HPPD patients. Uh, HPPD, I think, clearly is a, at some level, a psychological condition as well as a neurophysiological condition because it's so tied to anxiety and fixation and attention, almost suggestion in a way. Um, but I, but I think there has to be some kind of neurophysiological correlate. But the question is, what kinds of, is there a stable change that we can predict? that's happened in the brain for someone who's taken a psychedelic and the vision, you know, never recovers. Um, so that's what that study is, kind of, is trying to work out. And, 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 if, and if there is a stable 
predictable change to, for example, some receptor in the visual cortex. It's, it's these foundational understandings that will contribute to later research and sort of targeted treatments. So rather than just giving someone the blunt tool of basically a, you know, a powerful side effect laden benzo, uh, we could give them like a targeted psychiatric medication where, you know, the hope is it could cure the condition much like you, much like, much like cures for physical conditions. Um, and Macquarie is also running an active questionnaire study, which every HGPD patient listening is encouraged to to participate in. You can, and you can find it, all the details on hgpdonline.com. Um, basically just filling out your experiences of the condition. I, th- I think, I think that, that, that that's almost like these very foundational um bread and butter understandings of, you know, what do people go through? What did they take? How many times did they take it? Will be really crucial for just basically laying out a map for what HGPD is and looks like. Um, yeah. And that, then, I, so I was kind of wondering, like, and obviously what you just laid out is that you maybe we don't know, but we can learn. It's like, do, do the synthetic drugs or maybe um, the psychedelics that don't have as much um, human history of use cause this more frequently than maybe um, ayahuasca or mushrooms? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's exactly the same. But those are interesting questions. Mm. Um, and also, like this, I think this is why they say like psychedelics will be for the mind what the telescope was for astronomy or the microscope for biology. Because like understanding those functions, what's going on in the visual cortex, like whether it's a, a dopamine thing or a serotonin thing, like um, even for treatment will be huge because obviously treatment is huge in this. There's so many people suffering that are just essentially voiceless right now. Half the time can't even go to a doctor and get a clear diagnosis. But if we understand the function, um, we can learn a lot about how the brain works. I think like, um, I think it was Hamilton Morris had this guy on his, on his podcast um, recently and he was studying um, essentially LSD on the dopamine system or something like that. Hmm. And apparently it's serotonergic with that 2CA or, or no, 2A receptor. 5H2A. Yeah, the receptor. 5HT2A. Yeah. Something like that. Um, it's serotonin at first and then it's dopamine on the, the second half or whatever. Hmm. And they, and when they consistently gave mice like a threshold dose, so not like a micro dose, um, eventually it became like all dopamine and it just like crashed the dopamine system and they just displayed psychosis symptoms. So like classic schizophrenia psychosis symptoms. And they basically triggered it by consistent LSD use and it messed up their dopamine system. So it's like maybe there's maybe there's like because we sit in front of screens all day. Maybe there's something about, you know, um, some people with damage or n- improperly developed dopamine systems, maybe they are more susceptible to HPPD, but we have no idea. Obviously, we have to run studies and stuff to understand what's happening, but just a lot of interesting questions. Wow, that's 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 fascinating. I should listen to that podcast. I've, I've, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a subscriber to Hamilton's Patreon podcast, but haven't yet checked out the yeah. episode. Wow. Uh, I'll send the, you the... Please. Uh, I'll find the name or whatever. So the first question, do synthetic psychedelics uh, or like novel psychedelics cause it more than the classics mm-hmm. at least? Uh, I think possibly, although there's never been any 
uh, in-depth research on that question, but I, I've seen plenty of reports online of people uh, who have, uh, one, one comment stand out, to me, stand out to me in particular where a guy kind of laid out, I've tripped on acid and mushrooms 30 times, never seen anything like HGPD. But then one time I took 25 INBME and I woke up the next day with HGPD. I wonder what's to blame. Uh, or I know of a guy who took, oh, what was it called? DOI. Um, I forgot what that stands for, but it's a kind of research chemical. Um, so when I was in high, when I was in high school, I, I was taking one P LSD and despite that being a pro drug for LSD and it's speculated that it just metabolizes into straight up acid. I do wonder whether the, you know, the one P element, the, the fact that it was technically a kind of gray market research chemical, whether that contributed in any way, especially since, you know, I tripped, I tripped out with these two other guys and then one other person in our group also develops HPPD style perceptual changes. And I read of a, a crazy account on Reddit of these guys. Um, I think it was like a whole gang of guys all took, I've forgotten the exact, it's, it was something like 5-H-E-O-M-I-P-T, like, don't quote me on that, but some kind of wacky exotic research chemical, all of them got HGPD. Um, whether that speaks to the trip they all shared. Yeah, maybe. Uh, or something about that drug, I don't no but i think probably there is going to be a relationship between hgpd and um these sort of synthetic drugs and, and secondly you mentioned you you know you get that great stan groff quote i think that hgpd yeah i mean does it, i think that the, as well as just the, the the priority and research of just like helping people who are just seriously impaired and distressed by what's happened to them i think also yeah you're exactly right hgpd and the experience of kind of post psychedelic perceptual changes it's it's a it's a very fascinating phenomenon and i think that it for, for me the most interesting thing is how it kind of may indicate a relationship between emotion and vision you know because hvpd is in in some sense almost an anxiety condition and the fact that this anxiety feeds into literal changes in your vision that are kind of quasi psychedelic i think wow what what does that mean um and, you know, it's, it's funny he gave a Stan Groff quote because he um, he dealt with HPPD patients, um, although this was before HPPD was was ever kind of codified as a condition. But, but he, he describes in like almost pitch perfect terms some of his LSD patients developing, you know, after images, trails, the visual snow, I believe. Uh, although he, interestingly, he describes them having body image issues, uh, which I haven't heard too much about on the HPPD forums now, but it's curious. And, and the way he treated them was by giving them careful doses of additional LSD. Um, and his theory was that HPPD was an expression of uh, unconscious material that had been kind of freed and liberated by the psychedelic, but were not processed adequately and kind of re-put in place. So his theory was you, you plunge back into the state of, into that unconscious state, and then you and then you integrate it better. Uh, and he claims, although there's never been any follow-up or data he supplied, he claims that all his HPPD patients were resolved after the subsequent LSD dosing. Um, although th this isn't an advert for any listeners if they have HPPD to, to, to drop acid because this was in very careful clinical settings. Um, but I suppose at the very least, Groff's experience and my own experience uh, speaks to how as an additional element of harm reduction, um, 
integration, I think, is 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 crucial because you know the the trip that set off my HCPD was a very difficult one. Um, I think that my re- kind of re-entry into sobriety was very impaired uh, because you know I was caught by my parents on the tail end of the acid trip, uh, and I was got in a lot of trouble as a high schooler caught by their parents on like schedule one drugs might be. Uh, but I think that that probably contributed to my HPPD. The fact that, you know, maybe it was a kind of mild trauma. Maybe it was just basically pretty anxiety. And, you know, especially since I think up to two weeks after a trip, your brain's still pretty like acutely neuroplastic. You're still pretty suggestible. And so the idea that just this absolute wave of stress from being caught tripping whilst I was still kind of in it. And then for the two weeks afterwards, it was pretty difficult. So anyway, at the time I knew nothing about integration. I knew nothing about the idea that you have to like be pretty careful about trying to piece your psyche back together to really walk away at the very least unharmed. Um, So I'd say, yeah, try as much integration as you can. What that means for you is going to vary, but you know, journaling, reflection, meditation, at the very least, this might reduce the distress that makes HPPD kind of matter, you know? Yeah, that's, that's super important. And I think, I think something that's fair to recommend for anybody is, is not to do, not to use these things as, as self therapy, Mm -hmm. you know, and to give yourself time on that, on that back end for that integration. And, the thing is, and this is the hard part is even if you leave a day and you're able to take a full day, sometimes it, it takes longer. And like, who knows what kind of like potentially damage or, you know, at the, at the best, it's the worst, it's a loss of an opportunity at the worst, it's damage to in, interrupt that integration process. Um, it's interesting. I'm reading um, hero with a thousand faces which is like Joseph Campbell's kind of like the hero journey. He, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but he goes through like mythical, mythological um, practices and um, traditions around the world. And he basically draws a through line and breaks it down into like, here's the hero's journey. Like here's kind of like, you know, here's why Jesus Christ's story is written the way it is in the Bible and stuff. And, um, and he breaks it down to essentially the way spiritual energy works is there's separation. Um, I'm forgetting the middle step, but it's essentially the journey. And then um, the return. There's always There always has to be the return or the spiritual energy doesn't like um, come back stronger than before. So um, sickness or any blockage or interruption of that integration would be interrupting the return part of that. Um, and that's more of like, and spiritual stuff is hard to talk about too. It's like what language exists about it other than stories and parables. That's why Joseph Campbell's work is so interesting. But um, yeah, I think, I think it's applicable. Obviously it's fresh in my mind because I'm in the middle of the book, but um, integration. Yeah is everything yeah and i i i've never actually read uh, or engaged deeply with campbell's works but i'm familiar with his basic model of the hero's journey um and i think that yeah it can be totally applicable to someone dealing with hgpd i think people can come to their own uh, understandings of what's happened to them and 
yeah, yeah, and, and Groff's idea of you know HPPD being an expression of un, of unconscious material that was liberated by the psychedelic that you can then piece back together, you know, to someone who is hyper rational or at least more critically scientifically minded, that kind of language can sound quite woolly and vague, but I think that it has it has some meaning. I think it 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 does tell us something, and it can motivate action, and it can act as a container for people to make sense of their experiences that that can be helpful. But and I, and I would emphasize that I think that yeah I think that you lay it out quite well in in the idea that you know integration if you don't do it it can be a lost opportunity. For, for example, I remember when I had my ego dissolution experience. Uh, I think that was a major lost opportunity for me because it was a very beautiful mystic experience. But then I didn't do anything with it. I was too young, you know. Twenty uh, year olds aren't too good at real, uh, you know, at really understanding perhaps the, the, the intensity of what they've gone through and really creating a plan of action around it. But on the other hand, I would say that my suspicion is that integration isn't just an option. I think it's, uh, I, I don't think it's just an optional feature. I think it's a core feature that you have to do to prevent damage at, at least some of the time, because the psychedelic experience, and this is something, uh, this is uh, an idea. And this is an idea I've come to the more years have lapsed since I did most of my LSD taking is that it's an incredibly powerful psychological experience. And I think that even your most euphoric, blissful trips, because it's so powerful and it can be so overwhelming that I think, honestly, you might people might be traumatizing themselves in ways they don't realize, even in their most euphoric, blissful trips. Because trauma, as far as I understand, is about overwhelm. It's about overwhelming your nervous system's ability to make sense of an experience. So all it can do is dissociate and package that experience and cut it off and alienate it. So bad trips aren't the only problem. Even your best trip, if it's overwhelming, can be a problem. And, and so integration, I think, is can be essential to prevent some lingering psychological issues. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like... Um potentially what a psychedelic is doing is opening you up or, or br like bringing some traumatic things or thing to the surface. And it's like, okay, here it is. Like it, it's dangerous to bring this up because that's why you pushed it down, but deal with it now. And then if you just leave it on the surface and then you don't do the integration, now it's right there in front of you. And it's like, I didn't deal with it, but it's right there now, you know? So that's the overwhelm. Maybe like, it's like now it's, now it's there. You can't, you know, it's harder to push it back down or, you know, maybe more dangerous because now you're aware <laughs> in a way. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's interesting. Trauma, trauma is related to, to all this stuff. I think to go back to, to go back to the young person thinks, I think it is super interesting as a, I, my first psychedelic trip was at 19. Um, and it was, it was beautiful. It was two and a half grams of mushrooms, nothing crazy. And um, yeah, definitely, definitely beneficial. But it seems like, like, why can't a young person, on average, why do most young people not do as much with a powerful psychedelic experience? And it comes down to like, what, what makes you do something with some with a direction anyways? And it's like, it's, it's kind of ego. Like you kind of have to have that self-identity to have a hero's journey, to create a path, to be like, you know, 
Um, I'm going to pursue this. And if your self isn't fully developed yet, it's hard to like go with it once you have that experience maybe. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. And t- two things come to mind. And one is like, as far as I understand, uh, Jung didn't recommend Carl Jung, uh, whose ideas I think are very applicable to psychedelics. You know, his idea of uh, trying to of trying to become your essentially your true self, the journey into the unconscious. He doesn't recommend it until middle age, which I think is always fascinating. Like he doesn't recommend engaging with these sort of unconscious forces, so to speak, until you, as you say, have have a firmly established. A sense of identity and stable ego structure and i think that there's probably something to what he's saying but then the other hand in for example uh in certain mexican communities or you know shipibo indigenous traditions pretty pe- people are introduced to psychedelics pretty young you know i've, I've, I've read of uh mexican communities where as people as young as 14 i believe or 13 are given uh psilocybin and i think that that and they seem to do pretty well out of it. Uh, and I think that w- what's different for them is that they, they live in a culture where almost like integration and the meaning and the application of the psychedelic experience is, is so suffused with their culture that there's automatically a container that young people can go to to make sense of their experiences. But with our culture, it's I, I really think that there's a fundamental tension between psychedelic experience and 21st century kind of rational capitalism which is really hard for people uh and i think especially with uh smartphones i think that smart you know i I, i'm not sure there's been any polling on what percentage of young people or people under 30 are addicted to their phones but i would put it at least 80 percent right and i think that smartphones like it's it's not it's that that's not a joke like smartphones are these you know, these dopamine machines, which are very disembodying. And I think that smartphone addiction almost might lend itself in a roundabout way to HPPD because part of integration isn't just the the cognitive, oh, what lessons did I learn? Let's write it down in my journal. It's about like truly sinking back into your body after you've basically gone out of your mind Um, and slipping back into the stream of smartphone addiction and endless scrolling. I think that that's can be quite, psychologically dangerous um and then yeah yeah there's there's a lot there i I totally agree um the smartphone thing the the best argument i've heard or the best um i guess uh thing to see is like it's like back in the day with call it SpongeBob or something like they were worried probably even before this, they were worried about like how fast the frames change on a cartoon, but you're in a new world. Every time you flick your thumb on TikTok for anywhere between 10 seconds and three minutes, you know what I mean? So, um, it really is like, it's a jarring experience. It's very, it's very hard to wrap your head around, but, I like that you brought up the the Shipibo and kind of the indigenous use because I think that is the conversation that we truly need to have as psychedelics are going to be in part downloaded into into this environment, into this Western culture, um, or they're going to try it again. We'll see, you know, we'll see how it, it goes. But um, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting things with that because one – um, I think with integration, um, 
you should give yourself, you should be super aware of the environment that you're putting yourself in to integrate. Because if you're in a city or you're just in, I don't know, like you should maybe rent a Airbnb if you, if you have that ability or something or go to a friend's house who lives in the country maybe for that integration because you are super susceptible to new ideas and your environment when you go through this like you know, essentially like a, a plasticity inducing experience. Um, another interesting thing with, with, um, uh, Aboriginal peoples, I, I just listened to, uh, Chris Ryan civilized to death. And he, he briefly mentions that there's studies that show that a lot of, um, indigenous cultures, their children don't go through adolescence. There's essentially a transition from childhood to adulthood. And it's interesting because I've heard said that I think it's like Piaget or something studying, um, studying children. He, I think he's the guy who studied um, the stages of childhood. There's this like messianic period of adolescence where people like feel like we're kids essentially around high school age feel like they're the most important, like they're the center of the universe essentially. And like, I feel like in Western culture, it's pretty easy to relate with that. Um, but how bizarre to suggest that it's possible that indigenous cultures, whether it's their environment or their language or their culture or whatever, whatever can, whatever creates a container, I guess, for people, they don't go through that. So, and then how, how a messianic complex you know, squares away with trauma and bad trips and psychedelics is right. Yeah. Interesting. Post psychedelic, psychedelic mania and post psychedelic messianism. All the, I think the, I, w- I would love to see a study on that. The phenomenon of psychedelic messianism. Cause I, th- I think it's someone, I think it's something every kind of career tripper can empathize with that, that, you know, that maybe that moment after your first or second trip, when you're like, everyone needs to take this, which, you know, after my second acid trip, I was so convinced that everyone needed to trip that I was like going to tell my like driving teacher, like this 45 year old woman, like <laughs> this fucking idiot 17 year old, like, excuse me, you need to take LSD. <laughs> but thankfully I, my friend, my, my friends convinced me maybe you shouldn't. Um, you know, there was one moment on an acid trip once when my friend, my friend who never tripped, uh, he, he was aware of this meme that people on acid think they're Jesus. And he kind of walked into my room when I was like deep in a 225 mic fucking mind bender. And he was like, Oh, Ed, uh so how's it how's the trip going i was like it's going good man and he was like, oh uh so do you believe you're jesus yet and then for about 10 or 15 seconds i was genuinely convinced that i was the second coming of jesus and like and it was both hilarious and also terrifying because imagine if i like hadn't gone out of that and i think that that's like it's like a predictable effect that's that some people can literally like believe that can like slip into messianism after trips and in his own way, like for example, and although I'm I'm sympathetic with the guy, and well, I'm obviously critical of him, Timothy Leary, psychedelic messianism, and you know the QAnon shaman uh, of the January sixth riots, he he's basically a psychedelic messiah, and we haven't seen like a big Timothy Leary figure emerge out of the psychedelic renaissance, maybe because the media is too decentralized now. 
But I wonder what it would be like in one or two years as the Renaissance like continues to emerge and mature, whether we'll see a, a, messiah, a messiah figure emerge. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've heard... It's interesting because if you if you put in enough work, it seems like I don't I just don't think the frame of understanding like I don't think and maybe it's because like baby boomer generation and older and I, I don't know if that's only an American thing to like frame generations that way, but just call it fifty and older. Um I think they still relate a lot with television being like the end all be all like they don't understand like where the internet's going so it, it is hard to say because i'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with gary v but sometimes yeah, like yeah. i watch him and it's like he he seems like he's um and and joe rogan i mean a lot of people are like afraid of joe rogan's power media people not like you know what i mean um because they know that that their their thing is diminishing and the internet thing is is raising you know so i think i don't know because there is this there is this thing with influencers in particular where like yeah you have more influence but you have less power like influencers don't actually get things done and i don't know if there's just a separation of politics and opinion that happens with the media that we use or if it's just watered down because there's so much info on the internet that it's hard to garner enough power to actually be like a Timothy Leary. Um, because you're right, they were super centralized. And if you, if you could essentially get onto the media, um, it was just a rocket ship to the top. If you, you know, if you were true to yourself and you resonated. Yeah. Fascinating. You know, and it made me think about just how much influence like Joe Rogan has, and I'm sure that if if Joe Rogan wanted to be the next psychedelic messiah for a lot of young men, I think he he, he could. I think we're just blessed that you know, whilst he's an advocate for psychedelics, he's actually in his own way, I suppose, he's pretty reasonable. Like he can, I think it's good. I think it so easily could have been that we had someone who was less responsible when they talked about psychedelics than Joe Rogan. But thankfully, like he's a smart, he's a curious guy, he's controversial, but whatever. He's not like everyone should everyone should trip. He's happy to have those conversations. Um, and I have wondered, you know, whether there would be, whether maybe as the foundation matures, whether and and maybe its profile develops, whether there could be one day a, a Joe Rogan podcast about HPPD. And and I do, I'm curious about what 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 his take on it would be. And I'm sure that with Joe there there would be quite a fascinating sort of rabbit hole to go down and it would reach a lot of people. Yeah. I think it seems like for the HPPD community, um, there just needs to be a few kind of like studies that show something like that show a direction that you can point. Like it seems like there's some promising things here. Seems like there's some promising things there. Once those studies are in place, I think, the noise around it will grow or, and hopefully that happens first because it's, or psychedelics enter the culture becomes a really bad problem and then gets talked about maybe both ways, but probably negatively. So, but yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll cross his radar at some point because um, this is just 
boiling up, right? This is like, I, I mean, not to say that I hear about everything, but um, I think a lot of people haven't heard of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, if you go on a, if you go on some, if you go on something like TikTok and look up HPPD, like there are videos which is like millions of views, and then go to the comment sections and just so many people reporting it. Uh, so it's like it's, it's almost like it's just a kind of split in the psychedelic community where like there's this whole like significant minority of people going through this that just like on that haven't at least maybe until recently been a focus point of attention or if, if you go on like the subreddit which is a fairly depressing place although i, w- I would suggest any listeners there check it out because it can be a good source of community the subreddit of the hgpd is like i believe it has maybe eight thousand members facebook there are loads of facebook groups with thousands of members uh, there's the HGPD online forum, which has been active since the 2000s, has, I believe, 18,000 members. So, And then there will be just so many people around the world internationally, people who don't speak English, people who don't have internet connection or aren't connected to social media or like literally have just never heard of HPPD, have no idea that that could be a label for what they're going through. I, so I, I think it, there is a whole just world of HPPD patients out there that kind of have been left being fairly voiceless for you for you know for decades yeah i mean i i can speak for for western culture i think when you we love to be able to label the thing and and it it's useful because it helps you to to deal with it and to hopefully heal from it or or fix it or get your life back to normal and um yeah i i'm glad that that these people are gonna at least have a starting point you know rather than getting I don't knows from doctors. Um, I, I do, I have another question for you, kind of, um, you know, I guess an analog question, which is, do you, so the video that I put out there was just like my take on what I understood of the dangers of psychedelics. Is that the one you saw? It was just like, um, so for me, it was like the triggering of like schizophrenia, um, dissociation and then that container thing that like be careful of of your integration because um that that was essentially like huxley's thing in brave new world right soma it was like a a psychedelic experience that everyone did on the weekends and then they'd roll right back into this dystopian world and that psychedelic world made it feel okay like it helped us to adapt to that shitty situation that is something that can happen but now, now it's like, okay, now there's HPPD I didn't know about. Are there any other like dangers or just like harm reduction things that you're aware of that people should be more aware of regarding psychedelics? Yeah, I'd actually, um, so there's a brilliant lecture that I've been advising anyone and everyone who's into psychedelics watch, which was uh, by, I have difficulty pronouncing her surname, Marta uh, Kazmarczyk, I believe is how you pronounce it. At breaking convention in 2019 it's on youtube and it's said it's called possible side effects of using psychedelic substances and she lays out a real laundry list of really neglected risks that i thought made a lot of sense and one of them uh, was post psychedelic mania which i kind of people might have experienced in their own mild way in the kind of messianic form of you know after a trip they feel kind of hyper aroused and super energized but i think for a lot of people they might not recognize that you know maybe for a month or two after that trip, they were in a manic state and, and mania, you know, you don't have to pathologize it and label it as mania, 
but mania often isn't a useful state to experience and and you might want to avoid it and maybe integration could help and bring down that mania but but the, the most fascinating thing she talked about was how there is some research in uh in mice that suggests that the 5-HT2O receptor we talked about earlier is like significantly linked with anxiety. So people might people might empathize with the idea that, you know, after a trip, for some reason, and like the maybe maybe the weeks afterwards, you feel like you're just super stressed and like antsy or anxious. Um, maybe that might not apply to everyone, but that might provide some human evidence of how just like, intense action on the 5-HT2O receptor like might be an intrinsic anxiety response. And, and she dives in the lecture on a, on a fascinating way of looking at psychedelics about how like the whole thing might be basically like basically waves of anxiety response because it's because psychedelics they can both intensify because they can both intensify and kind of bring down the 5-HT2A receptor and, and so, so the link between psychedelics and kind of post-trip anxiety is another one um you mentioned dissociation and depersonalization I, I think that that I would emphasize that again and and, and say that I think it needs much more research um psychosis and the triggering of schizophrenia yeah uh definitely um but kind of a psychosis in general um so not necessarily as part of a you know a, a disease like schizophrenia i think that we still don't know enough about kind of um let's say the, the possibility space for people to develop psychosis after trips like it seems that most people put the criteria like you know you took too much or you have a family history or um, bad set and setting, and all those things are true. But I think that psychosis is not talked about enough. And then people might have had experiences of trips where looking back actually kind of did blend into psychotic territory um, and maybe did them some harm. Um, but I think just more research and more understanding around, you know, around psychedelic uh, psychosis. And then um, as kind of the container for all of these the link between psychedelics and trauma and just to kind of re-emphasize the point i made earlier about how like even your most euphoric trips if they're too powerful for you to handle especially if you're young they can they can traumatize you like again to go into my story that ego dissolution trip was beautiful but also i feel like i was not ready to handle that uh, and i didn't integrate it whatsoever and i think it did leave me with some problems so that, that's what i'd say <clears throat> thank you what was the name of the talk we martha and uh martha uh, i think martha kaz 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 Marichik. i i i need to look up how to pronounce her name uh, properly but the, the the lecture is called possible side effects of psychedelic substances and it was at a the conference in the uk called called breaking convention in 2019 it's like a 40 minute lecture that i i found like a, a real mind blower yeah thank you Awesome. Well, um, so, okay. Maybe it's kind of a, a wrap up topic. What, what do you see in terms of the near future of, of this, this psychedelic Renaissance, like the next, like call it five to 10 years, or let's call it three to five. Like, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen here soon? Mm. Oh man. You know, humans have an intrinsic negativity bias, which which anyone who reads the news will know about, and and that's, so I want to stay conscious of that. But I do feel a real sense of worry and possible pessimism 
about the psychedelic renaissance. I, I can't help but feel that, you know, if you had told me when I was 19 and 20 and taking LSD relatively frequently that, you know, dude, look, it's really going to explode in ways you don't realize. I would have been very excited, but now it's happening. You know, I'm worried. Um, the HVPD issue, the fact that we know so little about the risk factors and the possible reasons why people might develop it. Uh, and the fact that it's being, that psilocybin is being decriminalized so rapidly across so many, across some cities in the U S Oh, I do support decriminalization, but you do still have to be mindful that these are drugs with risks. Um, and the, the fact that, you know, we're probably going to see psilocybin therapy, uh, you know, sanctioned and approved. And as it scales, so scaling is, is like such a driving ethic and purpose for the psychedelic clinical world at the moment. Uh, you know, as these therapies scale and the criteria for trials are relaxed and, um, uh, the, the the like at the moment the trials are like very small and heavily screened but now as they expand and the screening relaxes i do worry about hppd just like popping up like popping up like mushrooms you know just uh, in the in the amongst you know clinical populations and then you know just when i when i hear about how little in-depth engagement there often is from everyday people about the therapeutic possibilities of psychedelics it does worry me it, it's like and it makes sense because in our news attention economy age, basically every story isn't engaged with on a deep and subtle level. But when I speak to people who are fans of psychedelics, it's almost like they just kind of think, you know, they might read a headline or a post on Facebook and they'll go, oh, sweet, psilocybin cures trauma. And they don't, then there's not, and I I'm not going to blame them for not looking more deeply um, and, and trying to find a more subtle take because that's how the news attention economy works and how it's incentivized to make us engage with the news but at the same time it seems that all these headlines are just being absorbed like with no question and i think sending people on journeys that might be really that might fuck people up you know and i, and I don't want to be anti-drug i am 100 percent pro responsible psychedelic use but i'm also someone who especially more recently has been in touch with people who have really messed themselves up through misusing psychedelics, uh, you know, misusing, it's a, it's a loaded term, but you know, the, the, the mental health angle for psychedelics has so much potential to go right and so much potential to go wrong. But on the other hand, I am so grateful that psychedelics have been normalized and destigmatized in the powerful ways they have been. Like when I was first tripping, when I was like in 2015 or so, like it was all so closed off. And whilst there was something cool and edgy about them where they're more underground, that also meant that you could never possibly talk to your parents about anything you've gone through with psychedelics. So, so I think that like almost like the most like down to earth aspects of psychedelic mainstreaming are often the most powerful. Like the fact that I could just, I could just like talk to my sisters or maybe even my grandma, like about an acid trip I took three years ago, which was super powerful or super meaningful. And uh, there won't be the instant judgment because yeah, there have been some promising clinical trials. Like, Maybe this is, maybe these aren't just, you know, evil, nasty, dirty drugs. Maybe they can be extremely helpful tools. So I, I, I feel profoundly mixed about the current psychedelic renaissance. And I want to be optimistic, uh, but I feel the intuitive pessimism. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my take. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I feel that. I feel like you're you're really involved in um, a space 
desperately needing of, of exploration as, as we go in this. So I think that that totally makes sense. Um, I guess I'm slightly, I don't know. I think I'm just slightly an optimistic person in general. Um, because there's like good and bad that comes with everything. It is really tricky though. And I think destigmatization has to continue because like you, it's hard to even like decriminalization is one thing, but not even being able to like get the pros and the cons on the news or something where a lot of people might see it is like, it's a, it's a, problem you know it's like a something we have to figure out it's like how do we do education when like people don't want that kind of education on their media channels because it scares them and they have a built-up trauma because of propaganda to those things so as the destigmatization continues that's when these conversations are really going to open up and and what i think is that it's going to happen way faster than we think i think it i think it's all gonna happen in um, a year or two like things people are so open right now through force essentially because of the pandemic and and social media and um all of this stuff and psychedelics maybe even all hitting at one time that um we definitely Mm. need to keep having these conversations yeah right on and and i guess as a more final point like at least in my experience, and I think the experience of, 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 of many others, like the, the stigmatization towards drugs is actually like a huge driver of the anxiety and distress that accompanies HPPD. Because like at the most basic level, like for example, for years, I felt very isolated because I couldn't like talk to my teachers at school or my lecturers at university or my like my, like the RA at university about what I was going through because this is something that, you know, you did to yourself through drugs, you know, so you're basically just like carrying all this like bullshit self stigma and self shame because you took drugs. Um, and even if you do open up, it seems that people's sympathy will be limited because, you know, you know, you, you took, you, or you took acid, you know, acid fries your brain. What did you expect? So it's like, it's so important. I think, I think a really important harm reduction tool, like when in treatment, almost a treatment, uh, like any pharmacological remedy for preventing the distress of HPPD is just like growing up as a culture and having sensible conversations around drugs where we can talk about the benefits and the risks and just be adults. I think it's completely ridiculous, our current culture, <laughs> to be honest. For sure. How old are you? Uh, 23. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm 27. I feel I feel the same way. And that adolescent thing is really interesting to me. Cause when I was like, when I was in college and like I was diving deep into, you know, books and documentaries and stuff on psychedelics, cause it was more fascinating than the classes I was in. Um, one thing that always resonated with me was this idea of um, our species having kind of a collective age to it. And it's like, as a species, we're going through stages of life and stuff. And it's like right now we seem stuck in an adolescence, which is like that that messianic, like we're the best and we can never die and what we say is true. And how interesting if if adolescence doesn't isn't a natural part of the development. So I don't know. 
that's speculation. Wow. But, yeah. yeah. And what happens if you just throw a bunch of psychedelics on an adolescent culture? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Who knows? Right. It's going to be fascinating, though, at the very least, what happens. Definitely. Awesome. So, um, one, I think, important kudos to you for, for pushing through college and stuff as a sufferer of HPPD. But um, to, to end this off, where can people learn more? Um, what should people follow in terms of staying in touch with this research? And Sweet. Um, well, I guess the most immediate thing is to stay up to date with the work at the, of the Perception Restoration Foundation, the nonprofit I work with. And the URL is very simply just perception.foundation. And from the new year, when I get back to work properly, we'll be updating the website. It'll look snazzy. We'll, we'll have the information guide, the harm reduction guide I mentioned earlier, like hosted on the site, like a PDF, like you can just download. Um, and also check out, um, go on hgpdonline.com where there will be, I think that there was like a, a preset banner for that advertises the study uh, that we're recruiting for. And that includes the neuroimaging. If you're an Australian listening and you live near Sydney, like you could right try and try and recruit for that study like trying to and also anyone around the world um with with any experience of like these of hgpd post-drug perceptual changes should uh should submit themselves for the questionnaire uh that i described earlier and that's all that's all described in the hgpd online um advert yeah awesome thanks so much ed appreciate it right cheers evan thanks a lot (laughs) 